Hello, welcome to Talking Flutes, and I'm Claire Southworth, and I'm sitting here in my kitchen in Hove with John Paul Wright. Hello, John Paul. Hello again. Hello, 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 hello. Hello. And unusually, we haven't got a lovely, fine, sunny day. It's quite overcast. It's a good day to be inside recording, isn't it? It's warm. It is warm, yeah. And I could see the sea. I was driving down, and I was looking ahead and said, I can see the sea, I can see the sea. I do that every day. Oh, show off. (laughs) (laughs) How have you been, Claire? I've been very well. Yep, yep. Just come back from a, a, a trip to Holland. Ah, tulips of Amsterdam, eh? Yeah, not a little bit too early for the tulips, but we were going around the canals in Amsterdam and doing a bit of eating and drinking and sightseeing with the family, so that was great. And the reason is that people know you as Claire Southworth. However, what is your real name, Claire? Well, that is my real name. <laughs> That's your my, stage name. But my married name is Stammeyer because I'm married to Rolf. Real name, Hruloff, who is Dutch. Ah, the link. He's a lovely guy as well. He certainly is. So we went back to the, uh, the home country to uh, do a bit of a catch-up. And do you speak Dutch? Uh, no, I don't. I can swear in Dutch. <laughs> <laughs> that is always handy. Yeah, yes, always handy, but that's about my limit, I'm afraid. Did you ever swear at the Academy in Dutch? Of course not. Oh, no, because you're professional, sorry. That's just me, isn't it? (laughs) Uh, Yes, you invited me down to your lovely abode. I'm sat in this... Can I just explain to the listeners your beautiful kitchen? How high do you think the ceilings are? Um, Oh, four metres? Yeah, it's huge. So any reverberation you hear is due to our booming voices going upwards and back down again, isn't it? It is, and it's got... It's a, a Victorian house so built in about 1870 we think so it's very high ceilings with beautiful beautiful covings and chandeliers you do rather large chandeliers that certainly wouldn't look right in my place but with high ceilings it looks wonderful yes lovely lovely we're very very lucky so today yeah far I, away i thought we'd talk about building the brand Oh, right. Okay. <laughs> Sorry, I've got a coffee in front of me, Claire. Sorry. <laughs> I was just about to take a slurp. So, building the brand. So, I'm thinking about what is a brand. Yep. So, it is a concept that can be distinguished from other products. Yes. So, music, your brand, is how you would like your audience to see you. And I'd like us to talk about how we build our brand from your perspective in sales and marketing mm-hmm. and my perspective in performing, teaching and writing. That's interesting, isn't it? Yeah. There must be a correlation on the way. Building a brand, yeah. I'm, I'm, I want to talk about how we, in building our brands from each of our different perspectives, how we preserve our integrity, oh, yeah. how, we be, how we stay being honest and having strong moral values, uh, how we promote, what should we promote, what are the pitfalls, um, and how do we become successful. Cracky. It's going to be a long podcast. Oh, yeah. It's quite interesting when you start to delve into this, which I have been doing over the, the last uh, day or two. <laughs> um, so what about, let's start with our target audience. Let's start with our target audience from your perspective in terms of sales. Okay, before I do so, can I just say, throw something in? It's just coming to my head to do with Instagram, because a lot of our audience will be on Instagram. Yeah. And 
I think the correlation straight between my side, which is very much business perspective, and your side, which is building musicians and building the brand as an artist, the one thing we do have in common is the ability to communicate. Because without that communication, you can't build a brand. Now, on Instagram, about nine months ago, uh, my wife pointed out, my wife Jane pointed out, that there was this lady on there called Mrs. Hinch. Now, Mrs. Hinch had just set up a an Instagram page, and it's her cleaning, cleaning her bathroom, cleaning her bath, cleaning her toilet, and just cleaning. And she had this adorable dog, and the dog sleeps in its own bed, upside down, so its belly facing upwards. And within six months, Mrs. Hinch had... And she just did loads of daily updates, probably about 30 or 40 stories about her cleaning and what brush she had found and how she uses vinegar a lot. And within six months, she had over a million followers. And now, I mean, I don't know when this podcast is going to go out, probably in a couple of weeks' time. She's got well over two million. Procter & Gamble have have made um, products with Mrs. Hinch's name on it. And she's got a book. And she calls all her followers the Hinchers. That's extraordinary, isn't it? Yeah, and do you know why? Because um, um, she didn't set, I'm sure she didn't set this up to build a brand because she's just a normal run-of-the-mill lady. Just got married. In fact, she's just about to have a baby. And just set it up because she loved cleaning. But she, something happened with what she did that resonated. And she has this way of communicating. So I think if we're looking at building a brand, should we look at, as you say, what resonates and what communicates? Yeah, that's a very good idea. If I look at some most important parts, really, is integrity, is that maintaining integrity from day one, but also knowing your target audience. And in the music world, you, obviously you're going to speak about the music, musician world. In the music world, there are lots and lots of brands all vying for the same attention. Some very, very big companies, some small. And the key is to actually know who you're aiming at and then finding out what it is that resonates with that audience and being genuine. And that's the key. You have to be very, very genuine. Absolutely. Because you can market yourself to the nth degree but ultimately, when the musician picks up your product, if it doesn't say what it says on the tin, you've lost them. Not only lost them there, you've lost them forever. So the integrity of message, but also the integrity of communication directly to the audience, but also making sure that the product is what you say. And that is the biggest downfall for most uh, well, most manufacturers, really. Those that don't play. Those that like to spin everything. And I, was, I would imagine that is probably similar for a musician. I think it's exactly the same. And I, and I think it's, it's, it's so important from also then from the performer's perspective that you research your target audience and also research your competitors. <laughs> you know, and and uh, so if I'm thinking about um, target audience from as a performer... Um, your audience can range from uh, a children's concert to an informal lunchtime concert uh, where the audience are eating lunch to a formal setting in a recital hall. And you can, your competitors, you have to look and see if they're doing the same as you and what can you do differently and picking your unique selling points in terms of ability and personality and 
what makes you unique? Is it because of your communication? Are you getting reputation because in your concerts you always are chatting to your audiences? So you're developing a, a line of communication with them so they feel they get to know you a little bit. Are you using audience participation? Are you using a good variety in terms of programme planning or interesting combinations of, interest, of, of instruments? So there are many different ways where you could, you, we have to think about who is your target audience and how you're going to connect with those people. Do you have to ask some very honest questions of yourself, bearing in mind if we're talking to flute players here or musicians in general? There's a lot of us. An awful lot of us. And you need that unique selling point. Because bearing in mind we can't all be Burikoff, Andres Adorian, uh, Jimmy Galway, Pahud. We can't all be them. So No, but then you're talking about the absolute pinnacles of, of our profession. And if we, if we can look, at, we can start by looking a little bit lower to find a unique selling point. So if, if, if you're looking at uh, James Galway... It began as was the, the man with the golden flute, but before then it was the man with the, the the Irishman with the beard and the twinkly eyes and the fantastic sound. Yeah. So it could be if you look at yourself, try and think about what can you promote that makes you stand out from somebody else. So it could be that you promote your communication skills. The fact that, so for example, I'm a talk, I, I like to talk to an audience. And not many of my peers do. So you give narrative on each of the places. Yes. Sorry, places? places? Pieces. Pieces. Yeah. So that when you walk on stage, you know, you're, you're there as, if you like, as an entertainer. And your audience have paid money to come and be entertained. And to hopefully get to know, to, to know you as a, as a human being, not just some figure on stage that just comes on, tunes up and plays. I mean, okay, you might have programme notes, but it's, it's really good to actually chat and to make a connection with that audience. And I remember many, many years ago when I first started out, I was in a, a music, playing in a music club in Yorkshire. And I, I, we'd, I'd done the concert, it was a flute and piano recital, I talked all the way through it. And um, the chairman of the music club said to me afterwards, you know, really enjoyed the concert. It was lovely how you introduced everything and we learnt a lot. And then he said, we had such and such a, a string quartet last month. They didn't talk. They won't be coming again. <laughs> and I, I was wondering where his conversation was going to at the, at the start because I thought he was going to tell me that, you know, I talked too much. But no, it was the, it was the opposite. And so from from that moment, I always made a point of trying to create more interest in the programme. And it's not... People don't want to hear facts, you know, this composer, born here, died here, wrote this. They want to know that maybe the piece was written when they were on holiday in Venice, you know, and you can imagine yourself sitting in, in the square in Venice and... Ah, so you're, giving, you're taking them a little visual journey before you perform. Create imagery, yeah, it's really important. And if I didn't have the knowledge about a particular piece, because you, you can't always find out about the pieces. And certainly in my early days, we didn't have computers and internet, and you couldn't Google. So if you couldn't find it in the library, you had to make it up. So then you make up stories and create images, which people then can relate to. And it's especially good with complex pieces that you create programme music that 
the audience can relate to and enjoy the piece because of the, the image you've helped create in their heads. That word relate keeps coming over to me. Yep. The relation between you and the audience, but also the audience and the piece. Yeah, very, very... I th- well, I think it's very, very important. Um, and that when the concert's finished, your audience have an, an image of you. So the image is not just something they look at. It's something that they can take away. So it's a, an, 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 an oral image as much as a visual image. So when they know you're coming back again, they will know what they're going to get. Yeah, so they... And, and also then in your, um, hopefully in your reviews, your review reflects how you've tried to create your, your image. And you, you want good criticism, you want constructive criticism, so that you can build on that. Because this is all about building the brand. The brand doesn't come overnight. The building the brand comes after years and years and years. Absolutely. And you have to actually sit down and think about how do you want people to see you? So... There are many other things that you can you can think about. You've got to decide on your image, your look, how do you present yourself, how do you want that audience to view to view you, how do you communicate that image, know what you do best, and know what you don't do best. Ah, that's important. Know what you don't do best. Don't yes. do best. So do you love performing or teaching or writing? Do you like live concerts, recordings, lectures? Do you want to go to schools, colleges, universities? Do you not want to do any of those things? So it could be building the brand is as a private teacher. Mm. So that you, you are trying to think about how, how your students view you, how maybe your, if it's younger students, how their parents view you. So you, you build up uh, your reputation, your image, your brand. How about the visual flyers, the visual image that you create of you, which you pass around to potential employees yeah well sorry employers i i think you have you have a, a a great responsibility in how you promote yourself visually yeah so in my position maybe as a professor of flute i have to take great care over what i put out especially on social media and what photos i use because i have to be responsible in order to be taken seriously Credibility comes in there, doesn't Credibility. it? Credibility. You have to think about how you... Um, so in terms of using social media, so you've got Instagram, you've got Facebook, you've got Twitter, mm-hmm. how you frame photographs and how you describe them and what are you saying about yourself through that photograph. So you have to be careful not to blur the edges. Ah, That's quite hard in social media, isn't there? Because there is obviously the, the musician as a musician and the musician as a person. Yes, so that blurring could be quite... Uh, it's quite dangerous for a reputation, really, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. I mean, I'm not going to go on holiday and post my post-holiday snaps of me in a swimming costume, because for me, that doesn't work. Right. But, you know, I've just been away in Holland, as we were saying earlier on. Mm-hmm. I've posted uh, pictures of me on a boat, having a cocktail, uh, seeing the sights of Amsterdam. In a brewery. Pardon? In a brewery. In a brewery, yes, a distillery. Sorry, distillery, It was the oldest distillery in Amsterdam, which I thought was really, really interesting. Mm -hmm. And also we went um, uh, went to the first-class lounge in Amsterdam Central Station, 
which is like from... It's, I don't know when it was built. It was in Victorian times. Uh, the most incredible place that has its own resident parrot. Interesting places. And I went to a, a bicycle bell shop. That was also very interesting. So what you're doing is giving a little insight into Claire the person. Yes, but hopefully not one that will blur the edges. So you have to really think about what you post, but maybe also when you post. So, you know, you've been, you've been out for a night, you've been drinking, and it's, you know, two in the morning. It's not a good time then to post, <laughs> because they're, they're there forever, it seems. So it's, you've got to be so careful about how you create your image so that people can't go and look at the social media and think, well, I don't think I want them to come and do a concert or teach my children well, or that's come to people, my school. That's exactly a good point. That's what people don't realise is that potential employers, whether you're a brand and you're taking somebody on as an employee mm-hmm. or potential concert venues, will go back through your social media pages to get an idea of who you are. Yeah. So me as a, a performer and teacher, writer... And certainly you, in terms of your your brand, mm-hmm. uh, we have to be very careful about how we use the social media, but how to take advantage of it. Oh, absolutely. Now, you're very good at this, because that's, that's your job. I'm useless at it, and I'm <laughs> trying to learn. Because I said, when, when I started out, we didn't have this. So my brand, when I was coming out of college, in college, and just just having left, was all to do with... Um, getting a brochure and making sure you had the right photographs and the right information. So, and then you sent the brochure out to hundreds and hundreds of, of promoters and agents and you had to make sure that the information that you had down there would attract them and they would contact you and book you. That was hard enough being a woman in those days anyway. So it was harder. Yes, it was definitely harder. And... It was quite difficult to get hold of other people's brochures to see how they promoted themselves in order for you to, to, to do something that was equally attractive. So it was trial and error. Trial and error, but also if you... Uh, if, say you came from a very rich background and you made, had this really phenomenal brochure that just caught the attention, that's fine. But ultimately, if you can't produce the goods, then you won't get rebooked. No. No, so you've got to. So this is again, you've got to be very careful about the integrity behind what you promote. So if you're if you're uh, promoting the fact that you are an international performer of of incredible standard and wow your audiences and you really sort of sort of dress up what you do, if you can't back it up, you're going to be in trouble because if you don't play well. If you don't come across well, then those people who might have booked you will come back at you, and then you're in trouble. Yes. So you've got to be true to yourself. Integrity is hugely important. Be consistent, truthful, honest, and authentic. And that's where the correlation with actual business is as well. Because when I started, oh, crikey, uh, 26 years ago? Oh, Alexa has just chipped in. <laughs> Hello, Alexa. No, she's not talking back now, is she? You also have to say, Alexa, hello. No. No, she doesn't want to do it now. 
Alexa, take us to Talking Flutes. No, no, please don't. <laughs> Whilst we're recording. Integrity. So when I started, probably with the company 27 years ago, the brief was to take a brand that, the Trevor James flute brand, that was quite fledgling, and to drive it forward in the face of very strong competition from Japan and America. My view has always been that you can't pull the wall over a musician's eyes. In other words, you can promise the world, but when they put that instrument to their mouth and they blow, they feel, they hear, and they see the reaction from others. So for me, integrity has always been the number one base mark or line that you have to always maintain so you can't cross either side of that that leads to its own issues is that if you want integrity you really have to know your audience and your product and the audience is always changing styles and the tastes of the players and the desires of the teachers as into what sound they want is changing and as a brand you have to change with them but instead of trying to dictate change as a lot of music companies do. Oh, look at this new flute. It does this, it does this, it does this. Um, Because we're telling you it does this. What I wanted to do was to follow people. In other words, have the brand develop based around the desires and needs of musicians. You've you've actually talked about a very important thing here, which is creating an emotional link. Yes, absolutely. It's the emotional link, and it's... It's not enough to say um, what you do, but why you do it. Yes. And that creates an emotional link. And that is in both our areas of the music business. So it it could be, uh, for me, when I was saying doing a brochure or a website, that I'm saying what I do, but why I do it, so that anyone reading it is linked emotionally to that. They they know what I feel about it. And the same thing with you, that when people try your instruments, that immediately brings the emotional link, how they feel. Yeah, because for me, music is not just... It's, it's all about emotion, because you have to feel something, you have to love something, you have to love that flute like you've loved nothing else. Yeah, you love it so you can't put it down. No. And that's when you know you have the right instrument. Yeah, but the thing is, the manufacturer can't determine that. No. Because the manufacturer has to be open to the desires and understanding what players need. And it's changed so much. And we've had to listen. We've had to develop. If I take a step back about the emotional I, uh, emotional link, the first thing I did when I joined is I created a picture. And I don't know why I created the picture at the time, because in those days, posters were Yamaha pictures of musicians holding the flute. Yeah. And I just wanted to do something very different. I didn't know if it would work. But I came up with an idea of having a little girl standing on tiptoes. So she had a music stand, and on it was the old tuna day. So she was obviously a beginner, and she was in a ballet outfit. She had changed, taken her shoes off, so she's standing on tiptoes, looking on her teacher's stand. And I think on there might have been the eBay or something. And the teacher's flute was was on on a peg. And it was in this rather grand room. And it was just, this poster was just entitled Aspiring to Greater Heights. So that was the, the brand wanting to aspire to being greater than what we were at that, in those days. But also the young girl wanting to aspire to be greater than the tuna day she had started on. 
And within 15 years, we'd printed over a quarter of a million posters. Yeah, I, I remember it very well. It's a great, great picture. Yeah, Lovely I, image. Yeah, but it wasn't set up with a plan of, right, how can we get to the hearts of flute players? It was just an idea that came into the head that resonated. And I think resonation... Is there such a word as resonation? I don't know. Well, if there isn't, I've just made it up. it. Resonation, uh, when it comes to building a brand, is the key. As you've already touched it with musicians, you've got to resonate with your audience, resonate with the people who are booking you, with agents, and resonate with any publicity material you put out on social media. For us, it's all about testing. We have, at any one time, we must have 20 or 30 instruments out around the world being tested, being fed back. But what makes us different is we actually listen and we make changes. We're small enough as a company to actually make changes. Because if you don't make changes, then you actually, that actually backfires. So as a musician, I think if you have a bad performance, you take that information and then you just build on that and the next one just covers on that one. Absolutely. And, and the same with re- reviews or comments from your from your peers if you you ask advice and you take on board what people say and you're constantly trying to develop improve build yeah so in for example on the flute the most important part of the flute is the head joint you could have a great body it could all be in tune but if you haven't got a head joint that actually resonates with you and that you fall in love with then the whole thing tends to nah you know it's just sort of you don't fall in love with it and that's why a lot of flute players play with different heads because they, they find a head joint that just matches what they want. For us, for many years, on our upgraded silver heads and silver tube flutes, being cut, with the head joint being cut by hand, there is a, always a slight inconsistency. You know, if you have a good day and the, the cutter's doing really well, you can get a really corking good head joint out of it. And another day, it may not be as resonant. So there's always an inconsistency in cutting handmade heads. Now, a lot of the big manufacturers use CNC machines, so a machine will come along and um, just accurately cut. But for me, you lose something there when everything sounds the same. You lose some personality. But what you do get is sales. So we had a choice. We thought, do we go down the the route where we're going to be like everybody else, have our head joints cut by CNC, or do we want a little bit of personality? So we decided all those years ago to maintain a personality. And that's why we didn't, we've got bigger bore diameter than everybody else's. We haven't, we haven't matched everybody else's. And we, we take our strengths and we take our weaknesses and we're very open with our weaknesses. In other words, you can't stick somebody else's head joint into our flute because that's our bore diameter is very different. But we're proud of that because that's what makes our sound. We're also proud of the fact that when we openly encourage people, when they try flutes, to try every flute. So we're not saying, you've got to try Trevor James, this is the best. No, we say you've got to buy the flute that resonates with you. So we're very, very open. And we believe that openness and trying not to be what we're not has certainly helped. And that's what we focus ourselves on. We're all musicians. You know, we have drummers, we have guitar players, we have saxophone players, we have flute players. And not one of those can you persuade to buy something if they didn't feel it. So we go back to basics. 
in that everything we do, we know there'll be some of our target audience that love it and some that don't. But respect for everybody. Okay. And, and I, also, I, I like the fact that you say try everything. I mean, I, I, I always used to say if students were, were looking to, to buy a new instrument, I mean, the first thing they do is they look and see what you're playing. Absolutely. Uh, that, can, I just, well, can I just cut in there? That's yeah. the key in that we have lots of artists around the world, mostly playing on our alto flutes, because our segment is from probably eight-year-olds, starters, up to 18, 19-year-olds. And then after that, they go on to um, you know, the, the, the Japanese brands or the high American brands. So we are like, uh, if Yamaha or Ford, we are um, trying to think what we are. If Yamaha or Ford, we are a... Oh, quickly, come up with a brand. <laughs> think of a car. I don't know anything about cars. Uh, uh, I'd say Audi. Okay, say Audi. I think that's a bit posh. But uh, anyway, so we're an Audi. And then when flute players get to a certain level, they want to drive a BMW or they want to drive a Rolls-Royce or an Aston Martin. We're not in that category, so we know where we sit. The category we are in, where a lot of professional players play, is on our alto flutes. So when professional players are out with our alto flutes... I don't believe that there should be a big banner behind them saying Trevor James flutes. Because for me as an audience, I don't want to be sold. I want to be sold on the player. It's all about the musician, not about the brand. Where it becomes important and where the brand wins is, you've just touched on that, when someone comes over and looks at what flute you're playing, that's when you have them. So you don't, it's not all the banners, it's not all the posters, it's when they look down at that flute. And they think, ah, oh, Trevor James. Yeah. Or in your case, Miyazawa, Platinum. Hmm. That, that's where you get the credibility, because the performer has used that instrument. But it's not the instrument that's actually playing, it's the performer. Yeah, but um, I'm just thinking that when, I, when, when I'm saying to my students, you try every flute, that is a far stronger message than if you say, well, I play Miyazawa, you should go and buy Miyazawa. Because they, they go and they try things, but still in their heads, they know that I'm playing a Miyazawa. Mm. Um, and we will we'll certainly go on to sort of um, later on in the podcast or maybe next podcast on about sponsorship. But I remember my first trip to Japan uh, for Miyazawa. Um, and I played on a Miyazawa flute for, for a few years. But I'd not found a head joint that really worked, which is what you were touching on a little bit earlier. And I had a, a Louis Loss head joint, which was absolutely stunning, and made my Miyazawa flute just sound fantastic. The combination was awesome. And almost every recital I did in Japan, people would come up and say, I see you're not playing the same head joint mm. as your flute. And... Um, it was interesting, and I, it made me feel a little bit guilty um, doing those concerts and not playing on the, the whole brand. Uh, but it was only a few years later that then I bought a, uh, I, I went and bought my mm. platinum flute and um, had a fantastic head joint that went with that. I, threw, I tried lots of different head joints, of course, um, and they created one for me that was so similar to my... Louis Lott head joint that I wouldn't have wanted to play any other head joint and then suddenly my, my flute was complete 
Well, that's what when brands obviously get that wrong as well, is that they take exception if somebody isn't playing their head joint. For me, it doesn't matter. For me, it's all about the... And for our brand, if someone's got a Trevor James flute body, but they're playing on a Miyazawa head or a Senkyo head or something else that they've had fitted to that flute, if that works for them, fantastic. And, it's, and that's all about connection. Understanding that musicians are different. Understanding the desires are different. You can't have a head joint that pleases everybody. Certainly can't. And the head joint is the most difficult thing. Yeah. Yeah. So you've got to be you've got to be really careful. And I think that your attitude towards players having their own head joints is really refreshing. Um, and you don't often find that. No, it's because I think we're all flute players. And we understand... I mean, I'm very particular in when I was growing up as a flute player... I just knew in my head what I wanted. And I was a bit of a flute tart. I would go from one head joint to another head joint, another head joint. And then people would say, why are you playing a different flute with a different head joint? And I was just, I'm looking for that combination. Yeah. It was like, I used to have brass playing friends that had different mouthpieces. They had double tongue in mouthpieces, triple tongue in mouthpieces. Um, and is it all in their head? Possibly. But, and now I'm in the business side of it, I understand where musicians are coming from. So therefore, it doesn't matter from a brand. And I think if we get that across to people, there becomes a trust. We're not trying to sell them things. Mm. If somebody goes into a shop and come, doesn't come out with a TJ flute, but they came out with another brand because that's what resonated with them, fantastic. They've put themselves first. Rather than marketing, rather than spin, rather than anything else, other influences, what their friend has played. Okay, so... Let's move into a little bit into sponsorship. Ah, okay. Okay, because if you're supporting a brand, you need to keep your integrity. Yes. So, and you're saying that you're quite happy with someone to have a different head joint. Although the integrity comes from playing the instrument. It does. So, okay, so you've got part of the instrument, maybe not the total instrument. I'm thinking about um, uh, other people in other uh, sort of other areas, like... Lewis, Ham- Lewis Hamilton. Mm-hmm. So he is sponsored by Mercedes and drives a Mercedes. Yeah. Um, he doesn't drive a Ferrari. And George Clooney, he supports an espresso. I yeah. wonder if he's got an espresso machine at home or has he got a Gaggia? Um, Tiger Woods <laughs> has to be a golf one, doesn't there? Yeah. Um, he wears Rolex watches, not Omega. Right. This is where integrity is very important because these people are paid, paid vast sums. Uh, in the music business, you're not paid vast sums. Certainly not. So your integrity comes with playing an instrument and being allowed to play an instrument that works for you. If it's the whole flute, fantastic. But for us personally, we understand that a musician has to have integrity with themselves. And to play a complete flute, everything must work for them. And where we are pitched... We know that everybody desires different things and they're all striving to get the Rolls Royce. Hey, hello. That's Pete, isn't it? That's Pete's just spotted the postman, I think. What's it with dogs and postmen? He's <laughs> so placid. Just heard something and he's just, just making sure that we, we notice. <laughs> yeah, in, I'm just picking up from what yeah. you just said yesterday. In the music world, so we're, we don't have huge sponsorships. No. They don't exist. But... If you are um, helped by uh, a flute company or a local music shop or a local photographer, 
then I think it's very important that you mention. Absolutely. And that you give credit to those small amounts of sponsorship, bits of help that you get, rather than uh, just ignore it. There's also an obligation. If you there are, is an obligation. There's an obligation on every musician. If they are supported by, there is an obligation to inform the audience. Because in being associated with the brand, um, there must be some form of support. And if you're associated with the brand, in effect, you are selling that brand. You're promoting it. So that's why there is a, a moral duty on every musician. Yeah. From both sides. It's got to be from both sides. Absolutely. And so you'll be very careful from performance point of view that you don't upset those people who might be helping you get up climb the ladder and get on with your career. Yeah. And from a manufacturing and branding perspective, there's also has been understanding that musicians sometimes will go and pick up another flute and go, wow. And it's your obligation to say, well, why are they saying wow? Have a look at it. And is, is there something you can learn from that wow? But also don't be upset if a musician suddenly decides... Actually, I really like that. Because you're different. You're, it's not, you're not buying a fridge, are you? You're buying an emotion. <laughs> you're not buying a, a gag, a gag, gag, yeah. You're not buying an espresso machine or an oven. You're buying something that's very unique. Yeah. And so which you are being emotional. Yes. So we're back to that emotional connection. I mean, you're using your instrument to communicate the, the, a story a feeling, an emotion. And so that instrument has got to enable you. So, And sometimes as you progress, you change. And so in which case that's when your instrument changes with you. It does, and the disadvantage with the flute, I mean, if you look at Elton John when he plays the piano, you always see the Yamaha written on the piano. So there is this branding hitting you on the face. With the flute, there isn't. But you touched on it a few minutes ago, and you said the most important thing is when you put your flute down. And people, people come, always, come and look. Yeah. They always will come and look and see what it is that you're playing. That's the hook. Yeah. And it goes back to the, right back to the beginning, is what hooks do you have? And for us, it's integrity. We're actually a very small team. We're a very small company, English company, that punch well above our weight, purely because... I mean, some people say we don't take ourselves too seriously. You know, we like to have fun, we like to laugh, and we take the rough with the smooth. We make mistakes like everybody else, but when you make a mistake, it's how you deal with that mistake that determines who you are as a company. And I think that's the same as a musician, is that you've got to be, you've got to know the hooks, what drives you, and, you know, if you do have the the odd off day, it doesn't, and we know in music it does, but you then, you know, you don't let it define you. Absolutely. And there are, there are surprises along the way, because I remember being incredibly surprised by your beginner flute, your 10x. Yeah, you never knew, did you? Um, I never knew quite how good it was. And as we mentioned in a previous podcast, I recorded all the duets for my Kickstart Flute Beginner book mm. um, on a 10x. And I hadn't intended to at the start, but I practiced the flute and it grew. It just developed with, you know, with playing. And uh, it was very easy to play and I could get all the sounds I wanted. 
and uh, it was a fabulous instrument and it was that's that was a surprise so it's you must go and try everything <laughs> absolutely and that's, ta- that's ta- taken the japanese concept of kaizen so which is constant improvement so whatever we put on our upper models we always transfer downwards so what we learned on the head joints which is having a really free-blowing head joints we used to put those on our upper models mm. but now musicians want a bit more resistance they want to be able to go searching so those free-blowing head joints we've moved downwards because yeah. when you're a beginner you want to be able to make a good sound straight away yeah now let's just sort of covering other things mm-hmm. about building our brand yeah. haven't mentioned things like learning how to write a good cv oh yes and maybe websites what you put on your website so in terms of your biography do you want to do it in this podcast Claire? we could talk about that or we could talk well, about we have a coffee? we could have a coffee and uh should we indulge up. ourselves in a coffee we can do and then we'll catch up maybe next time with um or in a few minutes <laughs> well in the in next week i think well if we as we're doing two we'll have to put this out next week won't we after this one yeah well you're the boss <laughs> you're the boss so you're the one that anyone that knows claire knows that claire's the boss <laughs> so we'll, we'll we'll see when it when it comes out but this is you know once you look at building a brand it becomes really very very interesting there are so many facets to building the brand and one that everyone needs to actually have a sit down and think about map out plan so that it works for them and, and it's different for every single person. Yeah, and I think we probably need to simplify it as well, don't they? Because sometimes you can look too deeply into something and yeah. become too paranoid. Well, in the next podcast, we'll maybe do some, some bullet points as well so that it makes it a bit clearer because we've, we've wandered a little bit around today. That's me. And, um, it's always me. You so have your we'll, plan. We'll bring it back to a more concise feel in the next podcast to look at websites and CVs and uh, other ways of, of promoting and building. But for now, thanks very much, John Paul. That's my pleasure. So, over to the coffee. Coffee. Flutes and Talking Flutes Extra are podcast productions by the Trevor James Flute Company. For more information, visit trevorjamesflutes.com.